3: The Michael Luke Show. Hello and good morning to you. Monday, fun day, Monday, as we like to call it. Nobody calls it that, but I mean, you know, we were thinking that anyway. I mean, that's the important part, right? Welcome back to the program and thanks for coming in for this. The start of the week, we have got a, uh, we've got a show. We have got a show lined up for you today. Uh, we're going to start off here. Uh, with some headlines in hour one, and uh, get a start on the discussions there, and uh, that uh, there's some interesting headlines here that we're gonna have some we're gonna have some discussions on. Then uh, we will jump into it with a discussion of uh, of uh, Liam Kirka, who is a uh, uh, a young child with a heart condition. And we're going to hear a little bit about that story and uh, how maybe we can help uh, in that. We're going to be talking with uh, folks from the family, and we're going to see if um, see if if maybe we can encourage you to find out a way to help uh, Liam and uh, his family. And we're going to have that discussion here in just a little bit. Uh, that's where we're going to get started uh, here this morning. Uh, Then in hour two, we're going to pick things up with uh, our education expert, Sarah Montalbano from the Alaska Policy Forum. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, workforce development. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, uh, technical um, career and technical education uh, and uh, probably uh, some discussions on the cost of bureaucracy And maybe a little bit of uh, discussion as well on the uh, on some of the uh, some of the uh, statistics that still blow my mind when we talk about them, including the shift and the balance between educational uh, expenditures and expenditures on uh, administrative costs and overhead in the school districts so uh, I think it's an important conversation to continue to have as we delve into this and the legislature continues to ponder whether or not they should uh, they should increase the base student allocation and expend other monies on education uh, and how you know what is the best way to do that as well so we'll we got we got lots of stuff to talk about here this morning that whole final hour is going to be filled with our conversation with Sarah Montalbano as well. So it's gonna be good stuff. All right. So that's uh, kind of where we're gonna get started here this morning and uh, get things kicking off and cracking along. I hope you are. Uh, I hope you're rested and rejuvenated. I hope you had a. Uh, I hope you had a great weekend. I hope everything went well for you. A uh, little bit of a chill this morning. 23 below in Fairbanks, somebody just reported. Um, and uh, f- 15 below in parts of Wasilla. Currently at the Old Radio Ranch, we're looking at about five degrees. So I apparently am lucky to live in a little bit of a warmer section, but a little bit of coolness. Uh, the Friday was, oh man, Friday was a fantastic day to work from home. Uh, there was a multi car. <laughs> the, the Glen Highway was just such a hot mess. Um, I I feel good. They actually closed the highway between Anchorage and Wasilla uh, on Monday for about an hour or so. We actually got a actually got a notification from the police to just if you're trying to leave Anchorage, just turn around. It's like the Hotel California you can check out, but you could never leave. Uh, they finally got that all squared away with a single lane of traffic coming back. But it seems, it seems so contrary that in the middle of February, people would forget how to drive. You know what I mean? That there was like, at one point, one of those accidents involved something like 15 cars, uh, and there were over 40, uh, 40 motor vehicle accidents on Friday alone from what I saw reported, um. Anyway, it was a good day for it's a good day to uh remain uh working remotely from home uh and the home studio on Friday. But uh what a what a hot hot mess. I just again I find it surprising. Um uh I I just find it surprising that people seem to forget that, you know, I, that I should have to remind you that you should leave a sufficient distance in front of you. Uh, from other vehicles when you're driving down the highway now the argument is and I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant here But the argument is of course Well, if I if I leave too much room then somebody will just stuff themselves in between me and the car in front of me And then I've got to back off even further Well, then that's what you have to do uh, I do that every morning. I see that happen where I'm you know Somebody's uh, I'm leaving enough room in front of me and somebody decides to, you know, duck in and, uh, and and plug themselves into my three car lengths ahead of me or four car lengths ahead of me, which is probably even then still too close. They decide to put themselves in between me and the other car because, you know, they want to get there 2.3 seconds faster than they would have otherwise. Um, it, uh, it's just it's astonishing. I mean that is probably I've lived down here in the Matsu for going on what 8 years now and that was probably the worst um you know pile up that I've seen but again all excruciatingly preventable if people had simply just left enough room in front of them and not swerved in and out and and tried to race into town like idiots I, it's just it's so frustrating to watch it's so So frustrating to watch when people are just not, I don't know, patient. Patient, I guess, is the word that I'm looking for. I mean, although, again, I I don't know what people are thinking they're going to do. I mean, I remember here a few months ago, some guy just was ragging on me, riding on me, zooming around people, driving like a maniac. And yet when it was all said and done, I still saw him when we got into Anchorage. like. Congratulations. You are 12 and a half seconds ahead of everybody else meanwhile you endangered the whole pack. I don't I don't understand the uh uh I don't understand the uh, uh the lack of uh, common sense when it comes to that kind of stuff. I mean if you're traveling 50 miles an hour down the highway there should be a, at least four car lengths between you and the guy ahead of you, right? Preferably five. It's supposed to be what was the old, uh, what's the old th- rule of thumb? One car length for every 10 miles an hour you're traveling. It, 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 I know, I know, I shouldn't get on this, but it's just, it's so stupid. It's just so dumb. You know, the difference between, uh, you know, between 55 minutes and 59 minutes could save your life. Four extra, leave the house five minutes early if you're worried about it. Five whole minutes. Feel like I'm talking to my son at this point. I mean, well, I just don't know. I can't be. I gotta be there. F- you know, it's two minutes. It's a, th- you're, you're just five minutes early. Makes no sense whatsoever. I'm sorry. This is a personal rant. Just because, I mean, I, and this quite honestly is why I decided not to drive in because Thursday night the the roads had been hor- horrific. And uh, I just like, nope, you know, it's supposed to rain. It's going to be wet, snowy and rainy. No, I'm just not going to I'm not going to participate in that stupidity. And sure enough, sure enough. I mean, rollovers and just take your foot off the gas and just coast into town. Sorry, it's just so frustrating, so frustrating to watch. Um all right, what else we got here? What are some of the uh, headlines that we need to talk about? Well, we've got this uh, latest piece by Iris Samuels in the ADN talking about the fiscal cap and um I'm not saying that I'm not saying that it's pretty obvious that Iris has uh, a a take on this or an agenda on this uh, or a bias on this, but it's pretty obvious that Iris just has a bias on no real discussion on, uh, uh, on some things. Uh, we'll also talk about all the new, uh, let's see, COVID, uh, 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 the, the pandemic and COVID testing is back now in the legislature. Uh, and I guess we'll start off with, uh, I guess we'll start off with this. Because I think this is a step in the right direction. Uh, anybody who's followed me for a long time knows that I'm not a huge fan of occupational licensing. Which, by the way, affects about one in four Americans. One in four Americans are employed in work that has a occupational license that where you have to go beg the state permission to, you know, to follow your chosen calling. Uh, Some things it may make sense for occupational licensing, but others. No, it just doesn't make sense. Uh, And some states are starting to recognize that they're realizing that it is a burden and a hurdle for businesses to either get started or to import new workers from other states uh, that have been doing a job, you know, for 15 or 20 years and then make them jump through all the hoops again uh, all over just to come and do exactly the same job in your state makes no sense whatsoever. Governor Mike Dunleavy has introduced Senate Bill 83 to provide people who work in a licensed occupation and who are licensed in another state the ability to get a temporary limited license so they can begin to work in Alaska sooner. It's not as clean as I would like. There are some occupations – haircutting is for one that just drives me crazy – that would allow individuals with a clean license in other states to work up to – 180 days while completing final requirements for the Alaska licensure uh, instead of, you know, in some cases you could just, I think, remove the requirement and that would probably make sense. The bill covers more than three dozen licensed occupations ranging from barbers and hairdressers to pharmacists and nurses, which, again, I I would think licensing those occupations may make a little more sense than, you know, uh, a... a uh, A manicurist or a pedicurist or a a barber. Um, Dunleavy said, for people who want to live and work and play in the most beautiful state in the country, nowhere competes with Alaska. Making sure that qualified professionals who come to Alaska can get to work right away is important both for attracting skilled workers and meeting workforce needs. And that's the thing. I mean, if you're planning on moving from one state to another, if you're planning on moving to Alaska— The last thing you want to have is that your entire occupation uh, is put on hold, that you have to work, what, odd jobs and a part-time gig or you have to live off your savings for 60, 90, 120 days while you complete the licensure requirements or whatever, for something that you've already been doing for years in another state. I mean, it really, really makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, when you already have a proficiency and everything else. And in some cases, these are not cheap. You know, these licenses to get these new licenses are not cheap. You should really, quite honestly, only have to go through this thing once if you're doing it and then, you know, transfer it to another state. I don't understand why there's not more reciprocity in various states for these kind of things where they can just be like, well, did you per- – yep, yep, they passed it in – Georgia, so they should be able to use it in Florida, or if they passed it in Texas, they should be able to use it in Alaska, or you know, vice versa. It just makes no sense for me, this unbearable burden that seems to be placed on a lot of these uh, things. It, it just it makes no sense at all. The bill itself establishes limited reciprocity for qualified practitioners who hold substantially equivalent, li- equivalent licenses in other states or in Canada. It will benefit both employers and workers by reducing wait times, lost revenue, and frustration. Uh, yeah, let's let's start thinking about that government over it. Do we even, I mean, I think there's a question baked in there as to whether or not some of these licenses are actually even necessary. Occupational licensing always been a pet peeve of mine, always has been. All right, well, we're coming up on the break. Let's uh, continue ahead here. We're going to jump into this. And talk about the story of uh, Liam Kirka. And we will continue this discussion in just a moment. Don't Go Anywhere, the Michael Luke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We'll return with more in just a moment. Don't Go Anywhere. I got a little bit of a problem here. I didn't even realize it until now. Something is um Apparently I'm not on the air in Fairbanks. So I got to make a I got to make a call. I got to make a call. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Just hang out here. Yeah, we're getting back down to it. We're ready to go. All right. Uh, hour one continues. We're about to uh, jump into it and get our uh, get our uh, uh, next guest on the line here. I see that we uh, uh, are in the chat room. Excuse me, we're in the green room. We have, uh, I see Amber Kirka is there. We're going to be joining her in just a hot second here to double check everything. And make sure that the audio and video quality is where we need it to be. Um, let me just roll back through the credits real quick here to see what you guys have been saying. I said credits, but I really meant comments. It's Monday and I haven't had nearly enough coffee yet, as you can tell, um, um, time a minimum of three seconds between the car in front of you and your car and stay in the right lane unless you're passing. I mean, to me, these are just standard common sense kind of things, but some people yeah, <laughs> I mean, I just, I don't understand. I just do not understand why somebody has to ride your bumper uh, in the, you know, I just keep slowing down until they finally pass me. If somebody starts riding my bumper, I'll just take my foot off the gas and when they roar around me, then I'll just pick it back up because there's just no sense, no sense in messing with that. Um. All right. Looks like we're, looks like we're uh, all good. Not on the radio, just on Facebook," said Sandy. "Well, that's okay. We're we're rolling ahead now. They're working on it. Let's go uh, check in here with uh, Amber Kirka and make sure that we are all squared away for this morning, and uh, make sure that our uh, our audio and video, et cetera, et cetera, is all ready to go. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. All right. Uh, so you look, uh, looking good, sounding good. You're probably going to want to find a place to prop that phone so that you're not, uh, your arm doesn't get tired as you go through here. So we'll try. yeah. Okay. We'll we'll, see. Yep. We'll get it. Uh, we'll get it going on. Um, all right. Well, we're going to get the story of what's going on and, uh, talk a little bit about Liam and, uh, um, and we'll, we'll figure out everything that we need to, uh, uh, everything we need to know. Okay. So you sound good. And, uh, Everything is good to go. We got about uh, a minute and a half, and we'll be right back to you. Okay. All right. Okay. Good. All right. Well, we're gonna put uh, Amber back in the green room for a minute, and we'll be ready to jump in on this. Oh man, this whole thing is just such a hot mess this morning. Not. It's not me this time. For the for once, it's not my fault that everything is a mess this morning. I feel pretty good about that. Um. All right. Let me. Uh. Let me change that to that and we'll be good to go. Okay. All right. Uh, We are ready to jump into this and uh, we will be uh, going through here. The state licensing board has now reduced the state boards and requires no practicals for hairdresser, just the theory portion. I knew five people who didn't pass the board and practical when I took them unacceptable when you're working with chemicals that can harm a client, says Gail. Okay, I mean, we have a difference of opinion. No big deal. It happens from time to time. Um, And when they end up in the ditch, you can say, hey, buddy, you can't park there. All right. Here we go. Um, We're jumping back into it. The Michael Duke show. Common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Like and share, like and share, like and follow. Let's do this thing. All right, my friends. Welcome back to the program. It is the Monday edition of the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. And uh, let's uh, let's take a little uh, let's take a little step into the community involvement here. Talk about some of the things that are going on around us. Um, today's uh, guest is going to tell us a little bit about uh, stuff that's happening in her life. Amber Kirka joins us. Her young son Liam has a heart condition. And, uh, it's been a, it's been a heck of a struggle and, uh, somebody alerted me to the plight of the Kirkas, and I wanted to bring them on the program just to talk a little bit about it. We'll get kind of the full backstory and then uh, find out how we as Alaskans can come together and help, which I think is, uh, I think is the good and important thing to do. So let's get things started here. And uh, we'll kick things off. We'll bring Amber uh, onto the program here and uh, start off with her. Good morning. How are you?
1: Good morning. I'm tired. <laughs>
3: tired. Yeah, I bet. It's a lot of things going on. So, Amber, tell us a little bit about yourself and your family, and then let's talk a little bit about your son and uh, kind of what, uh, what's what been happening and what's going through. So if you want to give us a little bit of your background and, uh, and tell us a little bit about your family and how you know, uh, how this whole thing is a little unfolded on you. Let's, uh, let's start there.
1: <laughs> well, that's a very convoluted story, but, um, I guess I can start with, uh, both my husband and I are lifelong Alaskans. I was born, we were both actually born here in Anchorage. I was raised in Anchorage. My husband was raised in the Homer area. Um, we've been married for going on 20 years and we have our two boys. I have a 15 year old named Connor who, uh, he's he's pretty great. Hope he'll probably wake up <laughs> while I'm doing this, but uh and we uh Liam came about he's 4 years old. Um we we um for you know reasons we weren't able to have another child after our first son. Right. And, uh, so we did IVF with the expectation that I was going to go back to my job after when he was born after six, six weeks of maternity leave as a preschool teacher. Okay. Um, when I was about 28 weeks pregnant, we found out that he was going to be born with whoops, hypoplastic left heart syndrome. And in non-medical speak, that is means he was born with only half of a functioning heart. Oh, okay. Yeah,
3: yeah, that uh, that definitely uh, that definitely throws a hitch in the get along for sure. Um, That is a condition that obviously uh, is going to I mean, it's obviously going to be life threatening from the get go at that point. Right. I mean, that's something that you needed to know right now before before the birth happened and everything else. Um, what, what does that mean in terms of, uh, you know, what does that mean in terms of treatment? I mean, how does that, how does that get solved? Is it, it's a heart transplant? Is it, you know, what, what walk us through this here?
1: Well, um, I'm glad you asked about transplant. A lot of people, I get that question often and. Um, the hard thing with transplant is you're trading one set of heart problems for a new set of problems. when you're when you receive a transplant, you have a lifelong risk of rejection, and you're taking anti-rejection medications and living with a lowered immune system for your whole life. Um, and the life of a transplanted organ is the average is about fifteen years. So ideally, the best way to take care of these kids is to give them surgeries that, help them to keep their own heart because that's what their body needs is their body wants their own, their own part. Sure. Right. For Liam, um, that means that he needed a series of three open heart surgeries by the time he was four to create a palliation. So basically it makes it so that he won't die without surgeries. This condition is completely fatal. Um, so he had his first surgery, which is called the Norwood procedure, when he was five days old. Um, we went to Texas Children's Hospital. That's um, We knew he was going to be a little extra complicated because he didn't just have hypoplastic left heart syndrome. He also had uh, what was called a restricted atrial septum. And that restricted atrial, atrial septum took him from having about a 60% survival rate at birth to about a 20% survival rate at birth um, because it creates pressures in the lungs before they're born. Okay. And that, that can complicate things. So we went to Texas. They're the number one uh, heart center in the nation and our insurance was accepted there. So that's where we went.
3: (laughs) Right. Yeah, no, exactly uh, and pediatric care. So that was just the first of the surgeries that were necessary.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Um, when he, so he went through the first one at five days old and everything was going good. This was right before Christmas time. Actually, it was right after, right around Christmas time. My husband and my older son were, we were all living in the Ronald McDonald house and, you know, new years came, my husband and son left because I was there for the long haul. And uh, at three weeks old, he went into cardiac arrest. Um, He went into cardiac arrest and his surgical team just happened to be dropping another child off in the room next door. And so they were already there. They did CPR for half an hour and uh, put him on to ECMO, which um, if you've never heard of ECMO, it's basically a bedside life support in which they remove and oxygenate your body through a machine, Uh, oxygenate your blood from your body. Circulates it,
3: circulates it outside your body into a machine and then gets it back into you. Right. Right.
1: Exactly. So he spent four days on that and due to the CPR for, they did half an hour of CPR. And so that's oxygen loss. So he also suffered a stroke. Um, We, after we got home, he was actually also diagnosed with cerebral palsy from that event but the event was caused by an infection that unfortunately was on his heart and so they had to go back in after four days of life support they went back in and spent 14 hours um, in the or trying to somehow correct and redo his first open heart surgery essentially and that saved his life um, they didn't know if he was going to survive it because there's just not a lot of statistics for those kinds of complications.
3: Right, right. And being so young and everything. Uh, yeah. He obviously made it through that into the next round of uh, mm-hmm. of surgeries. What, what do the next surgeries entail?
1: All right. Well, the next surgery, it happens around four months. So and that was the one that was going to get us home. So we had been in Texas. He'd been inpatient for. Four months, his entire life, um, and it's called the Glen. So he qualified for the Glen surgery April 2019, and we, after of course, after all of these issues, we had a lot of problems with withdrawal and whatnot, and it took us about a month to get discharged from the hospital. But once we were discharged from the hospital, we kind of hung around until he was six weeks post-op. And then came home June sixth, two thousand nineteen.
3: Oh, okay. And so that leads us to the fourth one, which is uh, uh, where you're at. Uh, you know, where, where now. So give us give us the rundown on this.
1: Well, so right now we're in a place where the hard part is that we've got a lot of unknowns that we're working with because it's not just as simple as, okay, we scheduled the surgery. Um, surgery is scheduled for tentatively for June 14th. Liam and I are gonna go down ahead of time for a quick trip, well, a, as quick as I can make it trip down in at the end of April, early May, he's gonna go to the catheter lab where they'll use cameras and measuring implements to measure the pressures inside of his heart. And at, they're also gonna close off some collateral veins because when you have a a different circulation, a lot of times the heart will create its own pathways. So they're gonna have to close off a few of those pathways that his heart has created. Um, so we'll go down there and that's where the surgeons will tell us, okay, he's approved for surgery. We'll go as planned in June or they could say, okay, his pressures aren't right. They'll change his medications and say, see you in six months, we'll try again. Um, Or worst case scenario option, well, second to worst case, um, they say, okay, he doesn't qualify for surgery. There's structural issues. He needs a transplant. And then that's a whole other crazy thing because then you have to qualify for transplant. Um they right. put you on a list and depending on where you are on the list, we may have to relocate to Texas for up to two years. I mean most people don't wait two years for on the list, but it really depends on your child's blood type, how big they are, because everything matters in a transplant situation. Right. Um so the pre- presuming he qualifies for surgery that's scheduled for june 14th um in texas and we'll as soon as school gets out our whole family will kind of transfer down there for hopefully only about six to eight weeks um, obviously as we know complications happen right um best case scenario he spends about Two weeks in the hospital, and then we're just kind of hanging out for four weeks visiting family, um, making a you know checkups and whatnot. Worst case scenario, he has a few complications, which we kind of expect, and we spend probably around a month in the hospital recovering. And then you know we'll come back hopefully bef- by early August.
3: We're talking with Amber Kirka about the uh, trials uh, and and uh, and tribulations of uh, her son Liam. Uh, what's going on uh, with his uh, with his heart condition? And we're going to get into more of this here in just a second. We're going to talk a little bit about the impact, uh, obviously, uh, on the family and more. We're going to continue in just a moment. Uh, we got to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue with Amber Kirka. The Michael Duke Show continues. It is your home for common sense, liberty based. Free Thinking Radio. Back with more right after this.
0: If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com.
3: Okay, we are in the break right now. I'm going to pull Amber into the green room for just a second and I'm going to throw some music on because I'm still dealing with... I'm still dealing with what was going on down... Uh, in Fairbanks or up in Fairbanks. Hold on one second, folks. I'll be right back. Monday you know it's Monday that's just that's how it works it was a Monday everything looks great until it doesn't all right so uh we're gonna go through this we're gonna be joined here and again just in a moment by Amber Kirka uh again getting the rest of her story and talking about it um uh we missed the first part of Liam's story on the radio due to a brief return of dead air says Jeffrey Jeffrey I'm sorry you're gonna have to uh, you're gonna have to catch out on the podcast which is gonna be uh, it'll be downloaded it'll be up this morning right after the show or you can uh, hopefully you can on Facebook you should be able to just rewind I know on YouTube you can rewind and go back to the beginning of the conversation um, but um, That's what they're going. That's what we got going on there. Um, Amber, this has got to be traumatic for you and the family to go through, plus your son. Uh, Brian says, I can appreciate what she's going through. It's exhausting. She has her thoughts and prayers. We're going to talk about that in a minute. It's got to be exhausting. I mean, I can't imagine four years of this every minute just waiting for the next shoe to drop. It's got to be a it's got to be a frustrating, frustrating thing for sure um before we jump back in with amber uh here let me <clears throat> let me just um pick out a couple of the comments uh i see Politadic and david both have made comments about the educational stuff um and yes we're going to be getting into education sarah Montalbano is going to be our guest in hour two and so we will have a chance to uh talk about some of those uh Uh, talk about some of those things as well yes including the fact that school districts are flying people into juno to lobby for more money i i hear that Uh, i know what's going on i saw that when i worked uh and when i was on the uh, fairbanks assembly i was very frustrated by the fact that we were spending government money to go beg for more government money that was always kind of offensive to me um But we'll uh, we'll have those discussions into hour two when we get Sarah, uh, Sarah on the program here to uh, talk about all the educational stuff. So don't uh, don't lose heart on that. We're going to be we're going to be jumping back into that here in a minute. But first, I want to get the rest of uh, of Amber's story and we'll uh, we'll get some more details on this here. Let me just check my timing here to make sure that I'm still good uh looks like i am still on track on the timing so that looks all that looks all decent and good uh we're about 90 seconds out let's uh bring uh let's bring amber back into the uh, discussion and uh we'll uh we'll get her prepped here for just a second so amber i'm going to uh we're going to jump back on here in just a minute and then uh i want to talk a little bit about the you know the impact on your family. I mean, obviously, this has been all about Liam. Uh, but I think that you know we should also talk a little bit about you know the effect on you and everything else. And then the solution: what, how can we help? What, what's going on? What's the you know? We'll go through all that. We'll have about um, we'll have about nine nine ten minutes to go through all that, and then we'll get uh, we'll get through that. So uh, if you'll uh, if you'll uh, be kind enough to walk us through that when we get back, I'd appreciate it. Um. So, uh, where are we at here? Forty seconds. So we're gonna be continuing with Amber. I'm just gonna mute her for a second so that we can uh, make sure that we're all squared away, folks. If you uh enjoy the show, would you do me a favor? Would you like and share uh the program wherever you are? Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, whatever. You you could share it from wherever you are to all your social medias and everything else. And, of course, we're still looking to get that uh, – we're still looking to hit that 1,000-subscriber mark on, on uh, YouTube, which, I mean, we got over 4,000 people who like us on Facebook. I don't know why we can't get 1,000 of you to like us on YouTube. I mean, come on, people. Help us out here. Uh, just go over to YouTube, hit subscribe, and ring the bell for notifications. Let's get back into it. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. All right, continuing now our discussion, we're talking with Amber Kirka, uh, whose son Liam has uh, a, a, condition, a heart condition that has affected him from the moment of his birth up until today. Has already gone through three surgeries, is scheduled for a fourth surgery, um, and uh, that in and of itself, again, facing some complications, potential problems. But before we get into you know where we go from here, uh, I want to just talk for a minute uh, with uh, Amber about the impact. Um, I mean, I'm not don't take this wrong, but you you obviously are exhausted. It looks you look like you're exhausted. This is something you've been dealing with for four going on four years now. Um, This is uh, this has got to be uh, just mentally, physically, emotionally just draining and exhausting
1: yeah um it is uh, we um needless to say i am in therapy
0: <laughs> yeah yeah
1: um so it, it's been it's been difficult i mean it pretty much changed our lives from the get-go and uh we we like i said we had expected that i was going to take you know six weeks of maternity leave i was a preschool teacher for around 10 years and the expectation was that liam would just come to work with me and I, we would just continue on our merry way
3: right and
1: right. pay off our you know we had you know we paid for half of our ivf in you know credit
3: right. so
1: Unfortunately, I mean, it took us 10 years to save up the money to pay for half of it. Right. And that was with both of us working. Right. Now, now the idea of me working became impossible, especially it may have been possible. But when he had the cerebral palsy, his therapy needs, I'm pretty much I've been a stay at home mom. So when I had to become a stay at home mom, we essentially lost a third of our family's income. All at
3: once. Right. Right. Especially and, when you were planning on it to come back. That's the, that's the worst part. And, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it
1: prevented us from being able to pay off the debts that we had a plan. We had a plan and it was going to work and it was going to be great. And, you know, life just happened.
3: And that's, so the, that's the debt all before Liam was born, let alone now. Um, <laughs> I can't imagine the cost. Uh, I mean, just you know, give us a ballpark. What is something, I mean, this, I mean, three major open heart surgeries, you know, traveling, living in Texas for periods of time, doing all this stuff. I mean, this is real life changing money is what you're talking about here.
1: Yeah, Um, it requires right now. He has a great cardiologist up here. So most of his cardiology appointments happen up here. However, yearly, we are expected to travel to Texas once a year to check in with the hospital. So that's something that we, we did skip 2020 just because they, they felt like, okay, we don't, we don't know what's going on. We don't want him to travel.
3: Right. right And they come. were
1: he was stable. So they're like,
3: right. just
1: stay, don't go, don't come.
3: Yeah. More danger in the COVID exposure than anything else at that point. Right.
1: <laughs> it was the unknown. We didn't know. Um, so for us, it's, you know, several things. My husband works for the state of Alaska. Um, and. It's he's had to when he was born, he had to drain his leave bank to the point where he needed uh, people, people actually donated leave it, so that we didn't lose our income then. Right. Um, we did our best to kind of save up leave. And then last year, we kind of got hit with a double whammy. Uh, my husband had an emergency gallbladder surgery.
3: Oof. <laughs> on yeah.
1: New Year's Eve.
3: Oh man. And
1: <laughs> yeah. So that took him out of commission for it for a week. And then they put him on light duty. He'd been on back on a light duty position for about three days. And then my teenager came home from a scouting a scouting overnighter with a fever. <laughs> and then he had
3: COVID. <laughs> oh man oh geez
1: and this was just after his department because up until that point up until january ish 2022 um his department was compensating hours if you got had to stay home for COVID. they were forcing you to stay home right he had no choice even though the way it ran through our house is it we didn't all get it at once it was like one person every four days and my husband was the last one of course so he missed a ton of work because they they required him to stay home for 14 days right and use up his own leave at that point
3: right um so this next this next phase is going to be the uh the surgery in june um which again has its own complications or potential for complications and everything else um, yeah. And you guys have obviously been struggling with this. It's uh, it's it's a it's a horrific thing. Um, and so I guess the the bottom line is how can how can we help? How can Alaskans who are listening to this right now? Um, how can they help out? You guys are trying to save Liam's life and keep him going, give him a, a quality of life where he can go on and live. Um, what uh, you know what what is the what are the steps that you guys are taking now? And and how can we help? uh with this uh with this whole process
1: well we've got a couple of options we've got a we're uh selling t-shirts and the t-shirts are here i'm actually wearing one here this was actually a oops, there we go design that was created for him sorry i'm trying to get this in screen here um a design that was created for liam by my uncle out of Washington DC he's an artist who spend a lot of time in tattoo work so if there's a little bit of a tattooiness to it that's why <laughs>
3: it's um, the heart star the heart star yeah uh, it,
1: it, it is and it's actually a uh, kind of a steampunk cyborg heart that's modeled after what his finished anatomy will look like
3: right um, and so the t shirts will help obviously towards the uh towards the cost of this. You guys have a GoFundMe yep. uh and everything we, else set yes. up. Yes.
1: We do have a GoFundMe set up. Um the funds that will for this will be used for I mean our insurance, thank goodness, is really good. We actually after we had, Liam and I had came home, I think it was like February after we had come home. We got a big thunk on our door, and it was a uh, printout of what insurance had covered. It was this thick. It was, And at the very end, in bold print, it said $3.1 million. Wow.
3: And that's what they paid for? <laughs> that was your responsibility? That's, what,
1: that's just what, no, no, no. That's yeah. just what insurance paid. I've never been more thankful to have good insurance in my entire life.
3: Right, right. And because
1: so, that would have ruined us
3: right no and so you guys are on the hook for a chunk of that though i'm sure outside of whatever the insurance is paid for and of course it's ongoing i mean this that's just up it until is. this point right now you have the next surgery Ooh. and uh i mean you're you know he's four years old it's a million bucks a year to make sure that this uh, this kid is able to keep going and and make it work um, so I've dropped the GoFundMe link in the chat room. Uh, I'll post it up on my Facebook page for folks who are listening on the radio and want to go find out about it. Um, and there is a uh, uh, also the link for T-shirts, which I will uh, copy and paste as well uh, for folks out there that want to do it. And uh, this is uh, this is how you guys are going to get things, uh, you know, get him taken care of, right? This is it, it's going to take some help from yeah. the community to help things out.
1: Yeah, this will cover things. Unfortunately, with inflate, inflation really killed us the last couple of years as far as any hope of trying to put money away and save extra. So that's yeah. been difficult. And unfortunately, with things like, need, you know, at some point we may need a rental car because once he is no longer medically needs to be at the medical center, we sh- need to leave the Ronald McDonald house and find other accommodations so that other medical families can have our space.
3: Um right. well, and it's not like you're again the, your goal here on GoFundMe is only six thousand dollars. So uh, I think that if we had a handful of uh, handful of listeners out there, everybody pitched five dollars in the kitty, we could probably hit that six thousand dollars pretty quick um, to help uh, help offset that. so um, yeah uh, anything else are you doing any other fundraisers or events for people to uh, get together and and uh, you know come together and help you uh, for that as well?
1: Um, no, I think we just kind of, uh, right at this point, our first, our first trip has been covered just with a little bit of the t-shirt sales. And so right now we're kind of focusing on trying to raise funds, making sure that we have money if we need, if any extra airfare is needed, if there's a rent, we're able to get a rental car. And if we need a hotel accommodations, for whatever reason, we've got that there. Um, eating out is more expensive than eating at home. So there's always that. Um, and, uh, you know, if any, any uh, state of state of Alaska employees are listening, you know, I'm, I believe my husband can accept leave donations. So that's always something that's helpful. And, you know, I'm a big believer in the power of prayer. So
3: yeah, well, we've got even to
1: just add us to your prayer list.
3: Yeah. Yeah. We well, got to do that. And I'm sure there are uh, state of Alaska employees listening for a completely different reason other than your story. There's state of Alaska (laughs) employees who are probably listening right now uh, transcribing the show for their bosses. So if any of you guys feel like maybe you could give one day, if a half a dozen of you did that, maybe that could help out as well. Um, All right. Amber Kirka, our guest here on the program. Again, the GoFundMe link is up in the chat room after the show this morning. I will go ahead and post that up on my facebook page and we'll share it out and uh, we'll uh, also put out the link in the comments for the uh for the t-shirt fund as well uh where you can buy a t-shirt and show it off and uh, and help out as well um amber kirka <clears throat> thank you so much for coming on board and joining us today we appreciate it we uh, you are in our prayers and we hope that uh, we hope that we can raise some funds for liam here to get him onto that next phase thank you for coming on this morning thank you for having me uh hold the line for a second folks we're out of time for hour one hour two dead ahead we'll be back with more of the michael duke show um a couple people in the chat room have mentioned uh that you should also post under GoFundGo. GoFundGo go Fund go. Go, Fund go under medical congestive heart failure that there's a whole medical section on that um so, I mean, it's just another way maybe that you guys could do it. Uh, like I said, I mean, we've, uh, you know, 6,000. If every listener that I had right now donated a dollar, we'd probably double that right now. But uh, hopefully folks will uh, hopefully folks will uh, feel the call and uh, throw a few dollars in the kitty. When I get off the show here this morning, I'll throw a few dollars in there. We need to, you know, we need to help out. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's for the kids. This could happen to any of us. And, uh I guess it's one of those there but the for the grace of God go I kind of thing, and uh, I I hope that I hope you guys get what you need, and I hope his next uh, his next uh, surgery is successful. If it is successful, is that the end for now, or what is the prognosis in the long term?
1: Well, that that's a little heavier. Um, so, providing and assuming that it's successful, um, he will. Right now, he lives at a. His oxygen levels are seventy five to eighty five percent, so his fingers are always a little blue. And if it's successful, then he will have closer to normal oxygen levels. Unfortunately, though, they still have not figured out how to um, how to help these kids get to past about thirty five to to forty five years old. So that's kind of where our hope is kind of, there's a lot of medical things that are coming down, down the pipe that need more, more funding and research that will hopefully in his lifetime, he'll see the benefit. And we're, we're really hoping he'll make it to, uh, to see grandkids one of these days, but statistically that's not possible right now.
3: Well, uh, you know, all we can do is uh, is uh, you know hope for the best with the time we have, right? All of us at this exactly. point—that's all we can hope for. And uh, anything that we can do to help, we'll try and uh, uh, we'll we'll try and uh, and see if we can point some people at your GoFundMe and at the T-shirts and everything else. Uh, as long as you make, uh, as long as you make big guy T-shirts, we'll see if we can get a T-shirt as well. So I need that. Oh, we got lots. Of, we
1: got hoodies. We got T-shirts, and we even got kids T-shirts. Good. So I, I made I, sure.
3: I need the big guy size. So, all right. Well, we Amber, got that too. Amber, uh, again, I've got the link up in the chat room right now for folks who want to, uh, uh, for folks who want to uh, uh, do that. Let me post that one more time here in the chat room for folks who missed the GoFundMe link um and of course you do have a facebook page as well which i failed to mention earlier but i will link the facebook page in the chat room as well uh one more yeah that way people
1: can keep up with us as we
3: move forward yeah absolutely so folks want to figure out more or get you know follow the story along that's the place to go all right well amber kirka thank you so much for coming on board god bless you guys and uh we hope that uh we hope that you guys will uh see some success from this and uh just you know keep us uh, keep us in the loop here and let us know how Liam does uh, moving forward here.
1: will do. Thank you very much. All
3: right, thanks for coming on board and joining us this morning. Uh Amber Kirka. uh this morning talking with us about her son Liam and his uh heart condition and how we can help. Um and uh, I got to tell you what a uh, I have five kids. And I will tell you, if that had happened to any one of them, that would have been uh, – that would definitely would have been a very, very challenging time for sure as a parent. I can't imagine what she's going through. So uh, it's good to see she's as put together as she is because I'd, uh, I'd probably be a hot mess. So it's all good. Um, Julie says, I work with Amber's husband. He's a great guy. He's been uh, quite a journey for them. They are so deserving of our prayers and support. Well, hopefully we can get some – prayer. I mean prayers are pretty – cheap. We can get a lot of prayers. I think that's I think that's a that's a thing for sure. Um uh, the uh, support and the donations, uh I'm hoping we can get that going on as well here. Uh like I said, I mean their GoFundMe is only it's 6000 bucks. It's not like they're asking for the moon here. We should hopefully be able to uh we hopefully should be able to get uh a few more donations in there for that uh for that 6000. dollars. So Okay, Whew, that was heavy. It was heavy. My heart is heavy. I hope that I uh, hope you guys all give. Uh, I hope you all can 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 help out. Can give a little bit. Let's uh, let's change gears. Oof! Almost 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 blasphemous to change gears at this point, but we've got to do it because we got to start talking about edumacation. Let's uh, let's get Sarah Montalbano on the uh, on the old program this morning. We're going to talk with her about a bunch of stuff, including uh, the uh, career and trades route, since this is the tail end of February and it's career and trades month. And we're going to talk about uh, the cost of bureaucracy, which is <laughs> which is pretty big in this uh, in this well in this state, but pretty much in every state. And uh, and more, we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. She is with us right now. Hi, Sarah. How are you?
2: Good morning. How are you? I'm doing pretty well.
3: It's Monday. It's Monday. It is Monday. I'm a fan. I'm I'm voting for a four-day work week. That's what I'm doing, Sarah. I'm voting for a four-day work week from now on because I definitely need that. Uh, I definitely need that that third day of the weekend, it seems like. It's just not enough for me. Um, All right. Um, So we're about uh, 60 seconds out from the start. I just want to make sure you're ready. We're all good to go and, you had a great weekend
2: yeah it was good it was a long one i could use a three-day week this week good. or a four-day week this week a three-day week would be better
3: yeah but, a three uh, day four week. days
2: would be nice too i
3: think we should all have a three-day work week and a four-day weekend <laughs> i think that works good all right sarah we'll hold the line i'm going to put you back in the chat room or in the green room and we're going to continue folks please like and share the show this morning and uh feel free to like and share feel free to share all those links that i just dropped in there for Liam and all that it's good to give back we'll return in a moment the Michael Duke show common sense radio Sarah Montabano is our guest here we go
0: The Michael Dukes Show streaming live across the world.
3: Yep, crawl live across the world at MichaelDukeshow.com, uh, where you'll find links to, well, everything to do with the show, podcasts, social media links, live stream, etc. And of course, live around the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Welcome to the program. Hour two of the big radio show for Monday. We just finished up with a heartwarming story. A uh, heart-touching story. I guess it, heartwarming would be a, a good ending. We're looking for the good ending. But it's a heart-touching story about Liam Kirka uh, and his struggles as a four-year-old child having to go through multiple open-heart surgeries. And uh, if you missed it, I recommend you go back and listen to it on the podcast. They, uh, we're still looking for uh, help, and I'll be dropping links in uh, on Facebook here right after the show. Uh, for the GoFundMe page and the t-shirts that you can help to do to support Liam and his family uh, and all that stuff. So that's that's in the last hour. Uh, but please go back and listen to that if you'd missed it uh, or go just do what I say and just go help out that either way, whatever, if you don't have time. Drop five bucks in the kitty on a GoFundMe and and let's help them uh, get things uh, squared away. But in hour two today, I want to change gears a little bit. We're going to talk about education. And we're going to talk about several different components of education today. Uh, we're going to be uh, joined here right now by Sarah Montalbano, who is the uh, education policy forum. She's the analyst for the Ed, uh, Alaska Policy Forum. And uh, she joins us this morning to talk about, uh, well... The cost of bureaucracy uh, in education. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about the. Um, uh, we're going to talk about the lessons for Alaskans in the career and technical education services and more. Uh, she joins us uh, right now to get started. Good morning, Sarah.
2: Good morning. How are you today?
3: You know, again, another beautiful Monday. We're ready to get with it on the week here. Get to work, and that's really what we're talking about right now because all we hear about in the News media and everything else is how, you know, everywhere in America, including Alaska, is facing, you know, a worker shortage. We don't have workforce development. That's the new buzzword. Uh, We have to have government to create workforce development. We have to do this. We have to do that. Well, it's a I guess it's a timely message because uh, February is uh, workforce development month. And uh, you've written a piece uh, over at the policy forum here Uh, that came out early this month since uh, we're at the end of February, and you posted this at the beginning of February, talking about lessons learned for Alaska in regards to workforce development. And I wanted to walk through that first, and uh, let's uh, let's talk a a little bit about that workforce development here in the state of Alaska. I mean, whether we can argue, I guess, whether it is a government, you know, if it's a government's responsibility or not, we do have some opportunities, especially in the educational component with kids, to uh, start work on this early. So walk us through what your article goes over here on this.
2: Absolutely. Uh, so February, I'm very excited. We're at the tail end. It's career and technical education month. Uh, I went to a career in technical high school, so I have uh, a great appreciation for what I can do for people. Um, we're looking at Alaska in particular, of course, nationwide, there has been a shortage of workers uh, since the pandemic, but Alaska's troubles have actually predated pandemic labor shortages by a lot. Um, Alaska had the highest unemployment nationwide, 2017 to 2019, um, 2015 to 2018, those preceding years. Uh, there were 36 straight months of declining employment while the U.S. was seeing expansion. Um, and. 2022 was the 10th year in which more people left Alaska than moved in. Um, so we, we desperately need to have the jobs in this state that will allow people to stay here. Um, and a lot of those jobs are in the career and technical education fields.
3: Yeah, we hear a lot about career and technical education. And of course, we hear that there's a huge demand. Uh, you know, meanwhile, we hear about all the kids who are out there getting a four-year degree in this or that or basket weaving or gender studies or whatever and then they're working at starbucks because they can't get a job in their field of study i mean that's been a statistic i remember first seeing that statistic almost 20 years ago where they said something like 70 to 80 percent of the people who graduated from college never get a job in their field of study it was like it was just a torture Mm -hmm. course to see if they could make it through instead of Moving on and maybe trying something that was in demand like a technical career, a blue collar, avtech, uh, you know, whatever it is. There's there's a ton of opportunities out there. And I think we're missing the boat on a lot of them.
2: Absolutely. One of the things I remember from my youth was just always the impression given really strongly to students that if you don't go to college you're going to have a lifetime of low earnings Uh, and that's not necessarily true. Um, A lot of careers uh, like machinists, uh, dental hygienists, plumbers, electric line installers, they are reporting median lifetime earnings Ten to sixty percent higher than the earnings of a lot of four degree holder, four year degree holders. Yeah, yeah. Let's um, let,
3: let's slow down for a second. Crazy. 10 percent yeah. to sixty percent higher than mm-hmm. some people who went out and got a four year degree for those yeah. for that group of people. I mean, and more than likely, most of them did not get into crushing debt to get into those industries.
2: Yeah, that's one of the things we highlight in our piece. Just right in discussion with that, is that um, three of the five top degree programs at the University of Alaska ranked by a combination of your typical earnings and the debt you incur to get that degree, the best performing, three of the best five performing degrees were associate degrees and only one of them were bachelor degrees. Um, So students really need to be considering these alternative pathways uh, because they do not necessarily get you into the debt that you associate with the four year degree with a master's degree. Um, all of these higher higher degrees aren't necessarily the best choice for everyone.
3: Right. And of course the demand we're talking about the law of supply and demand in the free market, right? There's a huge amount of demand for some of these trades. Uh, and yet the, you know, uh, as you said, you're taught, Get a, good, a good get a good education get a college degree you'll be successful if you don't get a college degree you're a failure but that's again not proving out to be the case I mean if if Mike Rowe has taught us anything uh that's of course the guy who did dirty jobs and he's got the Mike Rowe Foundation and all these other things that the technical and the trades are one of the uh you know one of the least filled, positions. They have the most vacancies, and yet those are a lot of the careers that make the world go round. They make the make the economy flow, and you can make a lucrative lifestyle in those trades if you apply yourself, again, without putting that crushing debt load on yourself and your f- future family.
2: It's such an advantage to for students to be thinking about those pathways, because if you have a career that you know you need to go to a four-year college for, that's great. You should Pursue that and be prepared for the debt that you're taking on. Um, but I think a lot of students go to college because they don't know what else to do. And that so many jobs require a bachelor's degree that they're just using it as a proxy for, well, are, are you able to do basic tasks? Are you able to slog through a four-year degree right. uh, in order to get this piece of paper? Uh, so I think students should be thinking very carefully about their goals. Um, some careers are going to need four year degrees. Some are going to need PhDs. Uh, but if you don't need that and you don't want to do that, don't put yourself in debt in order to get that piece of paper.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, again, I think this is part of a, uh, you know, we're touching on what is part of a larger problem, uh, quite honestly. Really? I mean, this comes back to kind of the I mean what was the old com- the old uh, phrase the military industrial complex we've got the educational industrial complex where there's been whole industries that have been built up around this and people are so invested in that idea I mean I remember my father telling me oh you got to get you got to get a college degree. you got to get a college degree I've been fairly successful without a college degree right I'm a I'm a high school graduate I I made it through high school uh barely in some classes but I made it um and uh, you know, I didn't get a college degree, probably to the disappointment of many. But uh, I think you know, you c- it can be done. It it's not as it's not a, a requirement uh, for success. We've seen that time and time and time again. And you again in this article talk about again the not only the the opportunity to get a, a higher median income over your earning lifetime. Um, But you also talk about, you know, this is the perfect, we have the perfect storm here, a combination of high unemployment and near record job openings uh, in areas where this stuff is much needed. I mean, this is things that we should be, instead of teaching all the minds full of mush in the junior and senior high school, that your next step should just be college no matter what, instead of asking the question of what would you like to do Uh, Do you like working with your hands? Do you like working in things, building things? Do you like, you know, all these other kind of things? We are short circuiting. I think that's why we have such a high vacancy rate in many of these trades, because the kids aren't even really given an opportunity to think about those things at a, you know, at a younger age or in their formative educational years
2: yeah that's one of the solutions i highlight in this piece that um students need to be helped a little bit in their journey with a transparent student-facing resource website of some sort that can help fill in the blanks and doesn't just say, here are the colleges you can go to, here's their different degree programs. We need something that has all of the different pieces. Here are the career and technical programs you can look at. Um, Here are these careers. Um, And Texas is in the process of developing a website like that, called My Texas Future, Um, it'll have an advising chatbot. It'll show, it'll outline the pathways for students to get to a lucrative career, and they'll provide resources for those students that are enrolling in or returning to college. Um, And such a part of that is the true cost of college and looking at the costs of programs, um, because I think students take on this decision a little too lightly. Um, and they could be thinking about this already in high school or even middle school, if there were programs for that outlined.
3: Well, and I, I agree with that. Again, that kind of goes back to the mantra of get a good education, get a good job. You'll be successful. They don't, I mean, they're not spec, they're not specifying the education. It's like any, any, uh, any diploma will do right. Any career path will do any, uh, you know, any, uh, 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 topic or subject that you get a degree in will do. And that's not necessarily the case. We don't need, uh, you know, a a gazillion. I think one of the things that you even in the trades, we get bogged down. You talk about food service handlers and things like that. We've got a glut of that. We're not asking the right questions um, of the kids as they start to reach that age of where they're starting to make a decision we're all just assuming like cookie cutters that they're going to be pushed into this mold and that they're going to go out there and find themselves in college.
2: Yeah, there's so many credentials that students are earning that aren't actually valued or demanded by industry. Um, and then there's so many that are demanded that just aren't being earned by students. And, uh, You mentioned the food handling certificate. There's just a glut of students that are coming out of high school with that certificate. Um, Welding certificates, if you believe it or not, are actually oversupplied uh, in Alaska. But Alaska needs Microsoft Office specialists. It needs paramedics. And there are CTE programs in high schools that will help train students for that. Um, And so what the state should be thinking about doing uh, is looking at a return on investment analysis looking at these programs that are offered in high schools and colleges and asking, are they being valued by employers? And are they leading to high skill, high wage jobs for students that have these certificates? Um, Florida does a really good job of this. Their first audit in 2020 uh, showed that a quarter of its programs needed review of their institutional performance. Um, They weren't getting the outcomes that they were promising. Um, So that's, that's one thing the state needs to look at is, um, Which CTE programs are being offered? Are they being actually utilized by students? And are they leading to these high-skill, high-wage
3: careers? Well, part of the problem there would require some self-analysis in the educational system in the state of Alaska, which, (laughs) you know, at all costs, we should not do that. According to many of the people uh, who are in the educational system, we should not analyze what we're doing we should just get don't more. self-examine yeah, at all <laughs> we should just we should just get more money uh because that's the uh, that's the answer sarah montalbano is our guest she's the education policy analyst for the alaska policy forum and she is our education expert here on the program it is montalbano monday i like the way that sounds we're going to continue here in just a moment the michael duke show common sense liberty-based free thinking radio more with sarah in just a moment
0: Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. had <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show.
3: Okay, uh, we're in the break with Sarah, uh, and she's here to join us. Sarah, pull your camera down just a little bit. You, I'm I, let's see there you see there you go how's that yeah that's better it that's tilts better. just
2: I, it'll just start to drift I know, it's, like, it's like it's just like
3: cord it's just like i'm pulling it's a slow 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 creeping and i see you're i see you're a painter i don't mean to be oh nosy. thank you i need to be yes. nosy but I, I see you're a painter yeah. there too yeah i just saw all that that's good <laughs> stuff um sarah this is one of the again one of the frustrating things for me is that I saw early on, um not that because I was the sharpest tool in the shed, but because I talked to people who had life experience and things like that. I saw early on that uh getting going to college and just getting a degree for the sake of getting a degree was ridiculous it was just it was not it was not going to give me what everybody said it was going to give me, right? I tried to have some critical thinking on it, and it was. It was obviously counterintuitive. It was, you know, counter to the, to, the, to the whole cultural thing of get a good education, get a degree. And it doesn't matter what you get a degree and just go get a degree and you'll get out there. And I think that's what a lot of kids feel the pressure on today. One of the things that we in America don't do that someplace like, for example, Germany does, they identify early on in the high school process. In a junior high and high school, what we would consider to be junior high and high school process. They they identify kids who have aptitudes or skills or desire towards more of the trades, and they set that career path up early, like in the ninth and tenth grade. They've already got these kids on track to be plumbers, welders, mechanics, engineers, you know, things like that that may not require a full four-year degree, and they've already got them on track, and it's not uh, and and it's not looked down on in America. It was almost like oh. You're an electrician. Oh, you're a plumber. Oh, my kid has a degree in Eastern European literature from the 17th century. You know, and you're like, wait a second, this electrician or this plumber is making more than 85% of the four year graduates coming out of school. And he didn't have this, he was on the job training, right? I mean, he didn't have $300,000 in college debt or anything like that. And and I think it's something that we in America have just failed to look at. And I think it's, I think it's snobbery. I really do at this point. I think it's more about the, oh, I couldn't possibly be bothered to be in a trade because, oh, <laughs> you know, what am I a plebe? Um, you know, kind of thing. And I just yeah. I find that I find that her- horrific.
2: Uh-huh. It disturbs me to think about the culture that has just been created across the United States, that you look down on the trades that, you know, college makes you better and you're somehow more educated because you go to college. Um, you can be educated at college, but it really depends on how you make use of that time. Um, <laughs> I, I've met so many college graduates that are not educated in any sense of the word. Um, and it's just it disturbs me um that students are not, given all of these opportunities, or if these resources do exist, when they do, uh, they're not promoted by college er, or career counselors in the schools. Uh, It's always, you know, you should be going to college. It would be such a waste of your talent to do anything less than college. Right. Um, And, you know, that that kind of attitude, I don't think is helpful for anybody.
3: Well, and I think, and, and, you know, the exception to this rule, and you talk about this in your article, is uh, some of the correspondence schools. I mean, uh, Sandy in the chat room is going crazy about. It. She doesn't know what she's talking about. Idea does has this. Good points. <laughs> Idea does this. Well, yeah, Idea does this. But again, Idea is one organization, and quite honestly, it's treated as a fringe organization more than anything else. What Sarah's talking about is the brick and mortar schools. I mean that that's the uh-huh. thing. Idea may be doing that, but that's a fraction of the of the student body in the whole state. The brick-and-mortar schools need to be doing this self-analysis. They need to be talking about the trades more. They need to be uh, you know, pushing on that. And luckily, the, the, uh, the, the public perception of the trades has been changing. With the help of people like Mike yes. Rowe and others, they're starting to understand that. Um, so, yes, IDEA is a great example. If we could get the rest of the state to follow that, That's what Sarah's talking about in this. Uh, All right, we're going to continue with this discussion here in just a second. Sarah, hold the line. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio, like and share, like and share, like and follow. Here we go.
0: The Michael Duke Show, seriously humorous with a pinch of intellect. Pinch of (laughs) intellect, sorry. That is humorous.
3: Here's Michael Dukes. Continuing now with Sarah Montalbano from the Alaska Policy Forum. We're talking about education. uh, And Sandy in the chat room brings up a good point that there are organizations like IDEA that are already focusing on that in the high school. We were talking about, uh, and Sarah, maybe you can expand on this. I don't know how familiar you are with it, but I was mentioning that in places like Germany, they identify children early on in the eighth, ninth, tenth grade, somewhere in there, who have a proclivity or an aptitude or an interest in pursuing trades. Uh, you know, whether that's construction worker or equipment operator or welder or whatever. You know, whatever we consider trades, they identify them early, and they put them into. Uh, you know, they they put them on a tra- on a track there on a path there that doesn't include university that doesn't include college. But here in America, everybody you, you get a you get a college degree, and you get a college degree, and you get a college degree. Everybody's got to get it. Um, it's slowly been changing, and the perception in the public has changed slightly as well, with the help of people like I mentioned, Mike Rowe and others who have said who have who have, who have tried to educate people that trades are not to be looked down on. They're not to be demeaned. And in fact, they are more lucrative in many cases than many of those college graduates with a four year degree. And so, I mean, why aren't we focusing more on that? And again, there are places like IDEA that are focusing on that. Uh, Yeah, they have 10,000 students in IDEA. Great. That leaves 140,000 students in the state of Alaska out in the cold. So, I mean, how do we change that in that regard?
2: Yeah, I appreciate Sandy's points uh, in the chat. Uh, One of the solutions I mentioned in the article is for students to take advantage of existing coursework in the correspondence school uh, allotment programs. Uh, You can pay for skill based classes online or by private schools, or you can take trades classes at your local neighborhood schools. Um, So I I think that's a really wonderful thing for these students. Um, I hope more people take advantage of this. As far as Germany's system, uh, I don't know necessarily that having the government, you know, make these decisions for students, that's not a good idea, right? We want students to have agency over their choices, but they need to be exposed to all of their different options at a pretty early age uh, to start tinkering with their hands with stuff. You know, you, you should be doing a little wor- woodworking and things like this um, to, to help you determine where you'd like to go. And then you can start by, you know, expanding the opportunities for trades classes in high schools um, that you have many different options and that you have enough class space to fill uh, for, for all the kids who might want to take these classes, that you have the seats for them, that you can put them in and that they can graduate with a certification uh, if they want to complete that course of study.
3: And I'm glad you, you pointed that out. I, I, too, do not want government choosing for my children what they should do. But I guess the like you said, exposing them to the other options, exposing them to the other ideas and putting them on a path or giving them offering a path that is of equal value to say, oh, you could go to college, but you say you have an interest in this trade. So here's what we could do. We could we can offer you this trade rather than having you just forcing you to go to college. universities are big business kevin says it's right the 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 educational complex the education industrial complex they don't care if a kid needs remedial math or english or reading they because they they'll sell you those those classes too because it all makes money in the end right but what we need is we need to start looking at our kids and say what are you interested in what you know what what makes your motor run what 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 gets you excited And and start working in those areas. Some kids are going to want to be doctors and lawyers and engineers and things that are going to require multiple years of multiple, you know, multiple uh, credential degrees. But other people, again, apprentice programs on the job, those things kind of things, those things should be, um, you know, available. So sum it up for us here, Sarah, wrap it up. What can we do? In the state of alaska how can we help push this what what how should we be moving in this direction
2: the biggest thing the state needs to think about doing um, is promoting and identifying these in-demand careers and credentials um, the, the state needs to check if its ctu programs are actually leading to high-wage careers for students Um, the resources that are available for students that don't just say college is your only option. Those should be publicized where they exist and created where they don't. Um, and we, we really need to be thinking about outcomes and how well public schools are preparing students for these careers after graduation. And then the biggest part of it is this culture shift. Uh, we need to stop looking down on career and technical education as less than college. I I hate to say it, but there's still so much of that out there uh, that students feel pressured into college.
3: Yeah. Oh, you didn't get a degree. What's what's wrong with your parents? There must be something wrong with them. Okay. Yeah, no, I agree. And again, the problem with this is it's going to require some self-analysis by the education system to see what are we doing and to maybe shift that paradigm even more because it is shifting. It's just shifting slowly. Uh, We need to accelerate that shift to a more balanced approach of there's nothing wrong with college. College is good, especially again, if you're a doctor, a lawyer, a biologist, something that requires that. But if you want to do a trade, work with your hands, be a mechanic, you know, be a a, a you know, a laborer or welder or work on airplanes or whatever it is that you do, that should not be looked down on because those are important professions to keep us going. and uh, and again, in some cases, like you said, very lucrative. I mean, coders and that you talked about a microsoft office specialist i mean those kind of things those are in-demand things right now that most people would scoff at they're like oh, well i can use word no no if you get certified you can go out and get a decent i mean a seriously decent job in doing those things mm-hmm. absolutely. absolutely um i want to move on uh over to um Uh, This discussion on the cost of bureaucracy, Uh, there's a post uh, that I want to thank. I think it was Brian that pointed it out to me. It's uh, there's an article over at freethepeople.org talking about the cost of the bureaucratic delusion. And I just look at it as kind of the cost of bureaucracy. And it's a fascinating article. But the end of the article talks specifically about the prime example of how bureaucracy can cost us, you know, of this well-intentioned governmentalization of social affairs causing disastrous consequences is the education policy in the United States. And uh, Sarah, you got a chance to read a little bit of this article because I sent it over to you for your thoughts on it. And uh, we're talking about not only the, the erosion of the quality of education, we're also talking about children who are being indoctrinated to values that are antithetical to the values of their parents. A focus more on the social aspects than the actual educational aspects, and more. And all of this, I think, is part is coming down as far as the top down because of this bureaucratic overhead we're seeing that has been stacked into the educational system more and more over the last 15 years, where they put a priority on the administrative side rather than on the teaching side, and so I'd. I'd I'd like to I'd like your thoughts on the article on the on the ideas of that and then the statistics of what we're actually facing here in the state.
2: Yeah, I was really glad you sent me this article. I wouldn't have probably found it otherwise, Um, but it really sums up, I think, the way that education has crept from its main mission and whatever you say the main mission is, it could be, you know, basic literacy and numerical skills, the basic things you need to get along with in life, or it could be values-based education. I don't know, but it has shifted so much into functions that are peripheral to that basic mission of education. Um, just because we've all agreed it's important to provide a good education for all children. That is something I think pretty much everyone in society agrees about. Um, But the state has absorbed so much responsibility for educating children, and it's grown its bureaucracy to do so. And all of those bureaucrats have to find something to do to justify their jobs.
3: Right. I mean, that's the thing. That's the nature. By the way, we've talked, we've had whole discussions about the nature of bureaucracy. I mean, the individuals who are in a, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong or evil about individuals in a bureaucracy, but as a whole, the creature that is bureaucracy, its tendency is to grow and to expand because, well, that's the nature. It's self-sustaining. It wants to justify what it's doing, so it has to find more things to do to get more funding to grow what it's doing to find more things to do, and the next thing you know, the the mission creep of a bureaucracy is a real, uh, uh you know, visible thing that you can see in many instances. And in the education system, it is truly uh, visible to see how far we've come from teaching, as you said, basic reading and numeracy, I mean, reading and writing and arithmetic, that we were supposed to educate these kids for some critical thinking and to learn how to learn, essentially. And instead, it's become a whole different creature.
2: Absolutely. I think we've moved so far beyond these uh, basic skills, that we're not even doing those well anymore. I mean, quality has just eroded. I mean, we look at the big expansions of federal authority over education. We look at, you know, every student succeeds and um, all of these giant federal laws. Um, Common Core, ugh, that I was in school when Common Core was starting to be a big thing. Um, and that's that just hasn't improved quality of those basic skills. Taxpayers are spending more and more on education and children aren't being educated in those basic skills. And parents are being removed farther and farther from being able to see what's happening in the classroom and seeing the values, because as much as we would like, education always has a values tint. There's going to be some value that students are being taught. And it's harder and harder to identify when parents are removed from this responsibility and duty
3: so much. Yeah. And I, and I think it's important. And I think what we're seeing now is we're seeing that we need more of a tilt towards the in-classroom education of, you know, what, what, what what athletes always uh, what, what happens with athletes, right? When you get a peak athlete who all of a sudden, stumbles in his career right he's not making the passes or or running the mile or hitting the hitting the tennis ball in the right way what do the coaches always say the coaches always say go back to the basics right and that's what we need to do i think in our education system is we need to go back to the basics of teaching basic reading basic math basic comprehension again teaching them to learn how to learn, and and to develop that love for learning. And that's, I think, what we're missing in a lot of operations. There are certain schools and certain places where that happens, but in the mean, it's mostly, it's become, like I said, just that machine again. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about the examples of that here in the state of Alaska when we talk about the statistics of the overhead and the bureaucracy and how much that has subsumed monies that were meant to be educating our children so we're going to talk about that here in just uh in just a second but we got a break and sarah montalbano is our guest we're going to get her take here in the last segment and maybe come up with some solutions i don't know we're going to try do our best uh sarah montalbano alaska policy forum returns with us the michael duke show common sense liberty-based free thinking radio back with more right after this
0: Listened to by more staffers in Juno than any other show. Because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're going to be best. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show.
3: Yeah, they're going to be mad when they hear this show, man. They're going to be mad about <laughs> this. Uh, I want to go back in the chat room. I don't and I don't want anybody to think that because I was holding up the German model as I'm not saying that that's the perfect model by any means, Uh, because you're right. Rob makes the point that uh, he said that Germany identifies as students for CTE and university versus university, et cetera, in the fifth grade. They actually get sent to different high schools. Okay, that may be a little too early. I'm not saying it's the perfect model. I'm saying that that there should be at least. Uh, some branching paths available to these kids instead of you need to go to college. You need to go. I mean, I was hearing that I've been out of college. I've been out of high school for 40 years. And I remember hearing that from all the either, but you know, the one guidance counselor that we had and everything else. And of course my parents is you needed to go to college, you know, kind of thing. And I knew it just got worse after that. Uh, Especially again, with all this administrative bloat, uh, with now, instead of one guidance counselor for the whole high school, you got 15 and people that, you know, the different career paths and advisors and all this other kind of stuff. And yes, I know I'm not saying that the European model, Leila's talking about the European model being very limited and limiting. I'm not saying that that's perfect. I'm saying it's an example. We've got to find examples out there of things that have worked or are at least giving us different and, you know, use some of those ideas. And again, not letting government choose where my kids go. My kids and and myself, I mean, the parents and the children should be choosing those things, but at least giving them another option, Sarah. That's the thing. It's like it's one option only. If you're not going to college, you're a failure. You as a student and you as a parent are a failure for not going to college.
2: Yeah, I see mostly the role of CTE in early education is to give kids exposure to the options, because I don't know how much you remember of your elementary school experience, but I remember thinking being a doctor, a lawyer, a veterinarian, a firefighter, all of these things were really, really cool. And I wasn't seeing, you know, plumbers coming in for career day. Um, things like that. So I I think there's exposure to different career options without the cultural stigma of, you know, being less than a college degree uh, is really, really important. And then giving kids some time to dabble and tinker in middle school uh, with all of these different options is very valuable. But yeah, Germany sounds heavy-handed to
0: me.
3: Yeah, no, I mean, again, I, 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 miss. I didn't misspeak, but I guess I didn't want yeah. the impression to be that I thought that this was the model that we should follow. Yeah, we all, you know, I didn't want to <laughs> think that that was it. But to me, it was just the idea of, oh wait, they, there is a different path that kids can take. Um, And I just want my kids to be able to do what they want to do without this fear. of. And I I told my kids right on. I said, look, if you want to go to college, I'll support you and I'll pay for it. Right. I'll Mm -hmm. support you. I'll pay for it. We'll figure out a way. But you have to have a plan before you go. in. this just can't be I'm going to go try college for four years. Um, I mean, that's (laughs) I mean, it it, it definitely is uh, is problematic, to say the least. Um, uh, I want, I want people and kids to have more opportunities and to feel good about those choices. So I don't want to demean somebody who wants to flip burgers for the rest of their life. If that's what they want to do, so be it. If they want to be in a, like, cause again, we need all those, we need all those different trades. And I'm hoping that, uh, I'm hoping that this paradigm shift that started already over the last 10 years or so towards trades. Can continue to accelerate to where we reach the i'm not saying wipe out college i'm saying find the equal ground right
2: yeah i'm very hopeful that children will start to see cte as a real legitimate option for them and that the kids who know that they need to go to college for their career are able to do that at a much less steep price Uh, i think this college debt crisis has just ballooned and it makes it really costly for those kids that don't need to go to college, but want to, cause they don't know what else to do. Uh, and for the kids who do need to go to college, their costs just keep inflating.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. I, uh, I am hoping, I'm hoping that there's a shift in the year. I think that there is, and I think you and I are talking about it now as it's kind of happening. I just hope that it continues to shift, uh, in that direction. Uh, All right. We're about uh, we're about a minute out now and we're going to talk again about some of this bureaucratic creep and what we're seeing. And you and I have talked about this already. So we're covering some older ground, but you've got some new statistics and new numbers. And you're also putting out a new article that Mm -hmm. uh, is coming out today that we're getting a sneak peek of. So we'll talk about that to begin with here and we'll, we'll get a start. So if you're if you're ready, I'm ready.
2: I'm ready. I'm very excited to talk about these statistics.
3: Okay, good. All right, Sarah Montalbano is our guest. Uh, we're going to jump back into this, folks. Uh, if you enjoy our conversations here and you enjoy the show, might I ask that you share it with your friends and your family and the people on your social media? Whether you're watching on Facebook or on YouTube or on Twitch or wherever you're watching it, there's a you can share it. Uh, and if you're on, if you haven't liked the show on YouTube yet i'm sure sarah has i'm sure sarah's already liked my youtube channel i think Uh, I have. she subscribed and rang the bell so if you would be like sarah could you subscribe and ring the bell on youtube that would be a big help as well all right continuing on let's jump back into it here we go the michael duke show common sense liberty-based free thinking radio let's uh let's go
0: the michael duke show not your daddy Wait, sorry. Not your daddy? Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. Whew. I was scared for
3: a second. Thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show. Not your daddy's talk radio, nor am I your daddy. That's that's just silly. That's just silly. Continuing now, Sarah Montalbano is our guest, education uh, policy analyst for the uh, Alaska Policy Forum. And we've been talking about the cost of bureaucracy and uh, how it's affecting Alaskans. Uh, Sarah, you guys have a new article coming out this morning uh, that's going to be talking about uh, teaching. Uh, you know how much money makes it down to the teaching level, how much makes it into the administrative or the overhead costs, and and there's some there's some breakdown in here. I'm looking forward to seeing this article. But you were willing to come in and give us some highlights. Uh, on this, and this goes back again to the cost of bureaucracy um, in you know what does it cost us as far as uh, you know overhead and how is it affecting us and mission creep and everything. So give us a little bit of a taste of this article and then let's talk about some of the statistics that I think many folks who are listening will find a little shocking.
2: Yes, I'm very excited to give all of your viewers a sneak peek of this piece. It's going to be posted on alaskapolicyforum.org in just a few hours after the show. Um, The main message I see from this data uh, is that school has expanded to include a lot of peripheral functions and positions that are perhaps worthwhile and necessary but not the job of schools that are trying to educate students in their basic literacy and numeracy skills. Um, And then therefore funding needs to prioritize teachers and students in the classroom directly. It shouldn't be used to keep growing this administrative apparatus around schools. So I have the statistics, but that's the high level overview of what I saw in this data.
3: And we've talked a little bit about some of these numbers, but this dives down a little bit deeper into it. Um, We've talked about how, in the state of Alaska, uh, Sarah Vance dropped the number on us. It's something like only 46% of the actual education dollars get down into the actual classroom on the teaching side of it, which means the majority of the money is uh, consumed by the administrative costs and overhead. At the university, it's even worse. I mean, it's like down into the 20 percentile range is actually making it into the, into the classroom for the college students. And, and to me, that shows that we have a prioritization problem. Right. We're prioritizing the overhead versus the actual educational outcome and the product that there's being developed by these educational complexes. Right. Uh, and so hit us with some of the biggest uh, glaring statistics that you saw as you were looking through the data and pulling all this information out. What are some of the things that you think that people would be uh, shocked and dismayed by uh, in the numbers that we're looking at?
2: Yeah. This status for 2021, 2022 National Center for Education Statistics, that's the gold standard of education numbers. Um, And so I looked at the numbers of teachers to other staff in each of these districts. And other staff is every position that's not a teacher uh, that includes district administration, principals, guidance counselors, instructional aides, librarians, all sorts of things, anything that's not a teacher. And the biggest statistic is that statewide Teachers are outnumbered four to five. So for every four teachers, there are five members of other staff doing things that aren't teaching.
3: Right. Uh, Which which is a significant number. Now, what I'd really love to see, quite honestly, and maybe this is uh, maybe I'm giving you a little homework here uh, (laughs) if these numbers are available. I would love to see a sliding scale and look back, what was it 20 years ago? What was it 15 years ago? What was it 10 years ago? I'd love to see what the that increase has become. Did it used to be 4 to 2, 4 to 1, 4 to 3? Now it's 5 to 4. Five non-teaching personnel, janitors, nurses, guidance counselors to teachers. Um, and I, I think it would be an interesting case study to look at how that growth has happened comparatively. Um, in, in the classroom, that's a huge number. I mean, when you've got more support staff than you have actual teachers, uh, I would question, um, I I would question whether, what your priorities are. Again, it goes back to prioritization. Uh, but you got even deeper into it than that. Uh, you actually got down into it at the school district level.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And you'll be glad to know I've actually done most of my homework on this. We're just preparing it for release (laughs) in the early 2000s. um, It was pretty much one to one. There was one teacher for every member of other staff statewide. So that's that's the best I will give you for now. Uh, Keep watching our website for that to come out. We're looking back to 2000 uh, with those numbers. Looking at the district level, um, the average district ratio is three teachers to every four members of staff. So that's slightly lower than the statewide average, um, just depending on the different balances that's you know averaging all the districts. Only seven of Alaska's 53 school districts have teachers comprising more than 50% of the total staff. So the majority of staff in a district are teachers in only seven of Alaska's school districts that also kind of floored me.
3: Right. No, I mean, that is a little shocking to see that it, that in only seven. Uh, and you've got the breakdown uh, on that as well. I know you looked at the at some of the bigger school districts in the state, uh, Matsu Borough and, and Anchorage School Districts specifically. Um, they had a pretty they had a pretty good ratio comparatively to some of the other ones.
2: They did. They were almost one to one for each of them. I think it was 0.96 for Matsuburo and 0.95 for Anchorage and teachers were 49 percent of the total staff in both of those districts Matsubaro school district spent slightly less than sixteen thousand dollars per student and ASD spent about sixteen fifty uh sixteen thousand five hundred dollars uh, per student so there's a slight difference in expenditures there um, the Fairbanks North Star Borough school district I found interesting because they're a lot closer to this district average of three teachers for every four members of other staff Um, and teachers were only 43 percent of their staff so overall our major school districts are doing fairly well uh in prioritizing teachers in the classroom directly um but some of these smaller school districts uh have really interesting ratios and the post has a table with all the data laid out for every school district in alaska so go check that
3: out um the yeah, I mean, some of these smaller school districts have numbers that are uh, kind of mind blowing. And you have a couple of examples here.
2: Yes. Uh, so this, this crazy, crazy stuff here. Um, The Tanana City School District had the lowest ratio of teachers to other staff, almost one teacher for every three members of other staff. Um, 26% of their staff were teachers. Uh, that's uh, quite a low ratio compared to every every other school district in the state um the Aleutian region is a super small school district um they have four teachers total um to two and a half other staff members and it's you know some combination of full and part-time staff members doing other things um what was really remarkable is their expenditures per pupil because i look at this in the post i just put a little column for expenditures per pupil from this uh, Center for Education Statistics data, um, and their expenditures per pupil exceed $100,000 a year. Wow. That is crazy to me. Just floored me. I was like, did I type that wrong? Let me check. (laughs) Did I carry Um, a zero? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah, 100000 And I think this goes back to the argument that has been made on this program many times that we talk about, you know, 53 different school districts um, and that there's a lot of duplicative effort in there. Uh, when you got the city of Tanana, which has three administrative people for every one teacher, uh, and it's just one district, when we have, we could, you know, we could talk about consolidating some of these districts. And a lot of those administrative positions could be combined, right? I mean, you could have a lot of, you could have a, a, a single administrator being, taking care of what was two or three different districts, and it would reduce that and flip those numbers on their head. Uh, because we have that duplicative effort and it just makes no sense that that. Why create why create a whole nother structure when you could do it all under one banner at that point? I don't I don't understand it. It's the same argument, again, for the three separate university systems, plus the overarching uh, university, you know, the, the hierarchy up atop above that it oversees all three of them. You've got duplication all throughout that thing. It makes no sense
2: hmm. There's a lot of interesting things that schools are doing nationwide to reduce the number of administrative staff and administrative bloat. There's actually a charter school in New York City, because thanks to being a charter school, they have the freedom to do this, um, that has no administrators at all teachers sign up to take on these administrative duties and they kind of rotate it and they get a pay bump for taking on the admin and they are able to raise their starting salary for teachers so much higher than the average for New York City. Um, so that's that's one idea I like. Um, and and yeah, we should look at the structure of districts too if we're talking about all of this different effort and this per pupil expenditures are so high for a lot of these districts that are very, very remote. Um, but what we need to be doing is looking at the funding and making sure it gets to teachers in the classroom. And I don't know the accuracy of Sarah Vance's numbers, but that would not surprise me at all if that was true. Right, um, right. We just, yeah, we have so many administrators and other staff that it's just school has expanded to fill a bunch of the duties and responsibilities that were for other social institutions before.
3: Right. Well, and we've talked a little bit about the uh, base student allocation number right in the past. And uh, we should have a you and I should have a conversation about the breakdown of that again, because some of the numbers are very shocking. Jeff Landfield over at the Alaska Landmine actually has an article that breaks it down in a kind of a surprising and shocking way. Uh, To me, the numbers were 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 even shocking to me. And I try and keep up on all this. But, I mean, it points out what I think you try and make here is your last point, which is that, you know, everything that they're trying to do with this administrative stuff may be worth it, but it, it that that is not the goal. The goal is to teach the children, right? I mean, sum it up here.
2: Yeah, I, we need to think very carefully because all of these functions very much may be worthwhile. Uh, I'm not saying that mental health services and things like this are not valuable to be doing. Uh, But we need to ask ourselves what the function of schools are and bring ourselves back to that baseline. And we need to make sure we're actually doing that basic mission well, because we're not doing that. We might be able to take on a bunch if we were actually teaching kids how to read.
3: And that's that's the problem. I mean, that's the thing. We're not delivering a good product and it's costing us more and more funding should prioritize teachers and students in the classroom over everything else and and teaching and teaching teaching basic reading and writing and arithmetic you know the numeracy and the literacy those things are important sarah thanks for coming on board folks we're out of time we'll see you tomorrow the michael duke show It's, it's just it's shocking to me, Sarah. I mean one number that jumped out in this discussion on the BSA is of course mm-hmm. how it's factored because it's not as simple as we're going to give you this much per student. It's also yes. of course it's also of course factored on how many students do you have and there's all these different uh, uh, you know numerators and 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 multipliers and everything else And mm-hmm. the number that shocked me was, for example, landfield said, there are forty thousand students, forty-one thousand students in the Anchorage School District, but they're getting paid on the BSA as if there is seventy-two thousand students. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, What? Excuse There's what
2: so many multipliers and pretty much all of them go up. Um to, you know, try try to make it, you know, so you have more money per student. Um I, I am doing a deep dive into this. Um so I would love to talk about it further, but it's so complicated. There's a running joke across every school funding formula across all fifty states. There's maybe two people in each state that understand their formula. Oh yeah, um, and I'm not sure I am uh, yet that person. Um, yeah, but
3: well, it I, is. I hope to be. Yeah, no, it's crazy. And like you said, funding should be should prioritize the teachers. We used to have a, a statute that did that. That 70% of the funding formula should go directly into the classroom, and that got pitched to the wayside at one point. And that's why we've seen this explosion of growth in the administrative side, because that's what the formula, the BSA formula favors, is the administrative side over the teaching side. And Mm -hmm. uh, I'm all for having a conversation about the BSA, but I think it has to be not just uh, how much money are we going to give it. It has to be, is this formula the right formula? And I think that's absolutely. Yeah. I think that's the bigger question. All right, Sarah. Well, as always, you're a joy. Thank you for coming on board and I appreciate it. And we will uh, catch you uh, next time. Okay.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on.
3: Okay. I get, can't wait to read that article later today. Uh, We'll get into that. All right, folks, we got to go. The Michael Duke show, common sense, liberty-based, free thinking radio. We will see you tomorrow. Have a great day, folks. Be kind. Love one another. Live well. We'll see you then.